You know, we've we've interrupted the uh, the study of the book of Romans so that we can study the Romans, the Roman Catholic Church. And I want to remind you um, why um, the the um, I guess it wasn't the initial reason, but it it has become the reason. Um, the initial reason was the uh, the trip to Israel that where we saw things that were just um, very off-putting, um, to say the least, and um, coming back and and being faced with Luke chapter eleven verse thirty-three that talked about the eye of the body and the body being full of darkness. And I, if you've been here before, you know what I'm talking about. But so the the, the excesses that we saw in um, in uh, Israel uh, were spawned by the Roman Catholic Church and um, and Islam, and we're going to take a look at both of those uh, this sp- this winter and spring. The the thing that has become the reason is the realization that uh, you and I are are presently residing under the uh, the anathema of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, I read you this last week from the Council of Trent. If anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else but confidence in the divine mercy which remits sin for Christ's sake alone, if anybody says that. Or that this confidence alone is that whereby we are justified. Let him be anathema. The Roman Catholic Church has pronounced an anathema on those of us who believe that uh, our our um, that, that divine mercy, um, which remits sin for Christ's sake alone, anybody who believes that is now residing under the anathema of the Roman Catholic uh, Church. So I, I think I speak for you, um, but I, I'm, I don't mean to um, to take anything away from you. But um, I think I speak with, for you when I say I think we believe that—the very thing that that is under the anathema that presently, it, today, under the anathema of the Roman Catholic Church is the thing that we believe. So it seems wise, uh, at least, to try and defend why it is that we are willing to remain under. Um, under anathema, under the official um, anathema of the Roman Catholic Church. Guys, the biggest challenge that I have in in this presentation is keeping you in the flow of things. That is, um, if you weren't here, if you weren't able to be here last week, then then I'm going to have to go back and just kind of get a running start as we introduce new material tonight. And 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 I guess I'm going to have to do that almost every week, which um, which will slow us down considerably. But uh, for the sake of um, for the sake of clarity, there, we need to start with some measure of um, of just summary. So let me do that. Um, uh, we'll there we go. Um, you remember I wrote up here that the the Protestant Reformation, of which we are a part. But I mean, anybody who's in a, you know what the Protestants are? They're the they're the Baptists and the Methodists and the uh, Presbyterians and the Lutherans. We're all the Protestants. Well, the Protestant Reformation was founded on what was known as five solas. Uh, there was sola, scriptura. I put all this up here last week. Uh, sola, fides. Um, sola, gratia. Sola, um, 
um, Deo Gloria, Deo Gloria, and Sola Christus. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, uh, Christ alone, and God's glory alone. And I told you then that uh, the Roman Catholic Church, in their in their creedal statements, believe in all of these things. Uh, they believe in Scripture. They believe in faith. They believe in grace. They believe in Christ. The argument is not over this part of the formula. The argument is over here. The the idea of alone. Scripture alone, and I, I told you last week that this was the formal cause of the Protestant Reformation, whereas this was the material cause. Um, I, I know that might be a distinction that matters nothing to you, but the real essence and heartbeat, I mean, this was ultimately, um, this is, this is the thing over which the, the, uh, the Protestant Reformation still cannot be resolved. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> Not to say that we've resolved that, but, I mean, sola fides, faith alone, is in essence the gospel. It is, it is, it has to do with the doctrine of justification by faith. And the, the doctrine of justification by faith answers the question, how can a man be right with God? Now, um, it, the Protestant Reforma- answer was, or the reformational answer was, that a man is made right with God through faith alone. And the Roman Catholic Church will not deny faith. It'll just deny faith alone. It is faith plus merit. Grace plus works. Christ plus me. And so the, 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 the argument hinges on the, the, the solas. It's faith alone. Now, uh, that was kind of the the, the launching part, uh, launching pad. Then we, I, I, I talked to you about the instrumental cause. This is what we did last week. The instrumental cause that God uses to bring justification to a needy sinner like us is baptism. Um, that in baptism, the person receives an an inpouring, an infusion of grace. Something happens, something actually happens via baptism on the inside of the recipient. And if that person cooperates with that infused grace that comes about at baptism and assents to it, then you are then in a state of justification (coughs) wherein you remain in that state of justification until... You commit mortal sin. And if you commit mortal sin, uh, you have killed this, this, um, this, this grace that was poured into you at baptism, and you have to be re-justified. Um, but you don't need to get baptized again, but you have to be re-baptized through the second plank of justification or the second sacrament. The, the instrumental cause of justification in the Roman Catholic Church is baptism. But once that is killed, then it, you, you have to be re-justified, um, moving on to the second sacrament uh, in the Roman Catholic system, which is the sacrament of penance. 
I think there's two N, P-N-N-A-N-C. I think there's two N's there. It might be just one. Which is where we stopped last week. Um, penance is defined as the second plank of justification for those who have made shipwreck of their baptismal grace. That grace that was infused inside you has been put to death by mortal sin. And thus you have to be re-justified, moving on to the second plank um, of, of justification known as penance. Um, in the Roman Catholic um, doctrinal creedal statements, justification is acquired instrumentally through the sacraments. Now, that's a key statement, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, we, we're, we're moving on to new stuff now. But justification is acquired instrumentally through the sacraments. The reformers said no. The tool of justification is faith in Christ alone. Um, <clears throat> now, guys, um, I'm going to take you down a little bit of a historical path tonight because the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation occurred, humanly speaking, uh, because of something related to this. Now, I, when I say humanly speaking, what I mean by that is that, um, I mean, I think ultimately God was behind the whole movement known as the Protestant Reformation. But humanly speaking, the Protestant Reformation grew out of something related to this second plank of justification. Luther wrote his 95 Theses because of an abuse of this. And interestingly, um, Luther had, had no idea where he was headed. But he was trying to correct abuses that, it, that it were swirling around this second plank of justification, which is called penance. What provoked Martin Luther was something that was um, that he considered an abuse of church practice, namely the granting of indulgences. Now, guys, indulgences and penance are connected, and you'll have to. I, I hope to make that. I hope to make that decently clear before um, before too long. But let me read you from that document that I mentioned last week. Um, this is the, the the Roman Catholic. It's a compendium of the Catechism, um, and this is question three twelve. What are indulgences? And I'm quoting: Indulgences are granted. Through the ministry of the church, which, as the dispenser of the grace of redemption, distributes the merits of Christ and the saints. Now, guys, um, that was a quote. What I'm, what I'm going to um, read you now is not a quote. I mean, from their documents, it is a quote. But it comes from a guy by the name of Matt Slick. And he says, an indulgence, according to the Roman Catholic Church, is a means of remission of the temporary punishment for sins which have already been forgiven but are due to the Christian in this life and or in purgatory. 
Now, guys, we're going to come back and, and take a, a closer look at purgatory later on, but you've got to understand what this this indulgence thing is having to do with penance. But let me let me try to give you the history, and maybe it'll explain it. Um, a man by the name of Tetzel. Um, that was the guy that Luther took out after. A guy by the name of Tetzel came into the the um, the, the state of Saxony which was uh, really next to where Luther lived, the state next to where uh, Luther lived. And he claimed that if the peasants would donate money for the construction of the St. Peter's Basilica, that um, they would then gain a papal indulgence for loved ones who were then in purgatory. Um, The church according to Roman Catholicism, having the power of the keys to remit sin on earth or in purgatory. So by the granting of indulgences, which could be purchased, um, the, the time that a loved one would spend in purgatory was then reduced, or the granting of indulgences. Um, but these things were being sold to ignorant uh, peasants in Saxony, and Luther went nuts. But ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, the only thing that Martin Luther was fighting was the abuse. By the way, he didn't even have problems with indulgences. He didn't have problem with penance. What he had problems with is the abuse that he saw that Tetzel was coming in and promising based on the granting of a papal indulgence, that loved ones who were thought to be in purgatory could have their time reduced if these peasants made a contribution to the building of the St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Now, guys, here's where it's going to get messy. The indulgence conveyed or implied that merit that the Pope had access to merit that he could distribute as he saw fit. And that merit all came out of what is known as the treasury of merit. Now, guys, um, let me just, I mean, because this is such a shocking thing for so many people. Um, all you have to do is go Google it. I mean, that's all I did. Um, I, I'm not making this up. I mean, but I bet you 60% of you have never heard of the Treasury of Merit. I bet you some of you have never heard of indulgences, and I found online today that indulgences, there are several cities, several churches in New York that are, that are granting indulgences today and will sell indulgences to you today. Now, let's see if I can um, not lose you. The treasury of merit is a depository of merit, excess merit, that was created by Christ, the Holy Family, and saints. By that I mean this. There are some people who live such outstanding lives 
that at the end of their life, they had excess merit. Of course, Christ, but it wasn't only Christ. It was the, the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, and, and saints. So this ex, they had more merit than they needed to get into heaven. So that excess merit was deposited into the treasury of merit from which can be drawn by the Pope merit, or by the, really, the, the, the Pope and his um, representatives. Or, let me just say this. The church can draw from the treasury of merit, applying it to people who are deficient in merit. So for, you know, bums like us, who are all pretty deficient, I mean, some more deficient than the others, we could gain access to the treasury of merit by the purchasing of indulgences or the or the the performance of acts of penance now guys i'm going to tell you a story um i can't prove this story i i'm i'm just telling you a story that was told to me 2 weeks ago I called the young woman who told me this story, who will remain nameless. I asked her for her permission to tell this story. She gave me the permission to tell this story, and so I'm telling this story. So, but I just want you to know that I'm, it's not a, it wouldn't be a surprise to her, but I mean, I cannot confirm this story, but she told me this story. She's a reliable young woman, and I think some of you know her and would think that she's reliable, but this is an experience that this young woman had. She was in college. She had a close friend who was a Roman Catholic, a girl, whose brother unexpectedly died. I mean, this is a true story, by the way. I mean, now, whether she's representing it rightly, I'll just have to let you make that call. But um, uh, but I was so floored by the story, I called her back and said, you've got to tell me the details of the story. Let, let me ask you about this, this, and that. Anyway, um, this young woman was at college. Um, her friend's brother died unexpectedly. They lived in another city, uh, the, the family of this young boy that had just died. Um, I'm really getting you confused here. The woman who tells me this story, her friend's brother died. This friend was so upset by the death of her brother that she, that our woman feared for her driving home by herself, and so she offered to drive her to her home. So she drove this young woman, this distraught young woman, to her hometown to mourn the loss of her brother. She stayed with her for another, I think, five days through the funeral and all that business. Before the funeral, um, they were all gathered in the den or something, and the father uh, that had just lost his son came in and made an announcement. And the announcement was that he had just made an enormous financial gift. And and, and this is where she was fogging. And I, I, she doesn't know whether it went to Rome or to some kind of bishopric here in the United States. But as a result of this enormous financial gift, it had been conveyed to this distraught father 
that his son had been granted an indulgence such that he was now out of purgatory. And I asked this young woman that was telling me the story, did that mean he was also allowed access to heaven? And she could not answer that question. But but here was the thing that was almost moving to me. When the announcement was made, everybody in the room burst into tears and 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 expressions of ecstasy and delight because this young boy who was now dead had been gotten out of purgatory because of a financial gift on the part of his father. Now, all of that becomes possible because of the existence of the treasury of merit, from which the church might draw so that anyone deficient in that merit, um, which this young man apparently was, could have via, via a financial gift. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the same thing that Luther reacted so violently against. I mean, just, just to pause to make one quick application. Do you see then how disadvantaged are the poor? Then the rich are allowed certain things that the poor cannot gain access to because of the, 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 the facts of I mean, there's, there's not enough money available. Guys, this whole, this whole granting of indulgences is linked to the sacrament of penance. Um, for instance, if, if you didn't want to make a cash gift, then because you have killed your, the, the justifying grace that was poured into you at baptism, what you did is, if you've lost your justification by committing mortal sin, then penance required that the sinner come to the priest um, in the confessional, confess his sin, and upon hearing of that confession... The priest then announces, and I don't know how you pronounce this, either T.I., Tay, Ty, whatever, Te absolvo. I absolve you. Te absolvo. Um, that is, upon hearing this prayer of confession and attrition, the priest absolves um, <laughs> and that power is what the Roman Catholic Church calls as um, it being is something that is permitted by something they call the powers of the keys of the kingdom that the keys of the kingdom were placed in Peter's hands and thus um, 
those who are the successors to Peter can then grant forgiveness on earth. Um, I'm quoting to you from question um, 201 in that same confessional or that same um, catechism. The church has the mission and the power to forgive sin. Now, in addition, now this is where you, um, in, in light of the, the, the prayer of, a, of, of confession and this granting of absolution, there is then the imposition of what is known as works of satisfaction. Um, that is the performing of works of penance. Um, you know, you know, we Protestants, I said this to you last week. When we talk about repentance, we say something like this. We say, repent or be repentant. Whereas in the Roman Catholic world, the language is not that. The Roman Catholic world is to do penance or to do acts of repentance or acts of penance. Penance is something done. Penance is an activity. Penance is a work. <clears throat> For instance, um, you've heard of Hail Marys or Our Fathers, Paternosters. Um, the priests then assign a certain number of saying so many of this, so many of that. And as a result of doing those acts of penance, then the priest can absolve you from the sin and thus reinstate you in terms of your posture of justification. Um, these, these works of penance are designed to satisfy God, which then earns for the penitent merit. Merit that is drawn from the treasury of merit. As a result of things that I have done, merit now is available to me because I have performed acts of penance prescribed for me by the priest who has absolved me from my sin. Uh, I don't know that you're going to find this interesting, um, but I, I find it I find it fascinating. And, and um, but in the Roman Catholic uh, schema, there are two kinds of merit. There is there is merit that is called condign, and, and that's really what I I, I, I want to um, <laughs> what I what I want to discuss with you. Um, but then there is merit that's called congruous. Um, condign merit is um, is an act that is so meritorious that God is bound to reward it. Now, guys, you need to soak that up just a little bit. That is that I am told that I can perform some kind of action that is so merit, uh, meritorious that God is duty-bound to reward my act. 
in essence, his hands are tied if I do something, if I do a piece of condign merit. Those, those congruous acts of merit are works that are such that it is fitting or congruous for God to restore the person to the state of, uh, of justification. That is, certain things that are congruous, it makes sense that God would, but condign merit is, is merit that requires, because God is bound to reward that. Um, some of the acts of penance would be the giving of alms, like you saw in the Protestant Reformation with Tetzel. Uh, where they were asked to give money, um, but it was this money was was to be used for one specific person that purpose, and that was the building of the St. Peter's Cathedral. Um, but Tetzel abused this this whole um, system and and took advantage of ignorant people um, to raise money for the building of a building. And I say to you guys, um, Luther was not trying to get rid of any of that. He just wanted to correct the abuses that misled these peasants that he was trying to reach. But from there, the debate broadened to all of these solas. This is the, this is the thing that, that brought Luther out of hiding. But once he wrote his 95 Theses, trying to, to, to get Tetzel stopped from the abuses of, um, of, uh, of indulgences, um, then he was, then Tetzel gets in touch with Rome and asks Rome to get Luther stopped. And then of course he was dragged into one dialogue after the other, and in the course of those dialogues, with Cajetan, and there was uh, one other guy that he debated. Um, the whole thing broadened until it finally landed on this. The material cause, which being that does the church have the ability to convey merit based on human works and human efforts? And Luther replied, no. That merit, that the only merit that exists is not condign or congruous, it is Christ's. And from there, of course, the, the, um, <coughs> the discussion went far and wide, and thus we have Protestantism. Guys, <coughs> the, the, um, the source of all of this transferable merit is this thing that I that I called that I told you about the, the treasury of merit. And 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 just I mean I I, I challenge you. I mean uh, just it doesn't take much. Um, that thing is not wasn't simply existent in the in the 16th century. It is available today that this merit can be transferred um by the church, and I, and I will say pope, but I think, that, I don't know whether it's pope or church, but they do so and ground that in having in their possession what is known as the keys of the kingdom. That they can transfer merit as they see fit 
and as they feel led. Now, guys, um, um, I'll, I'll close with this, and we'll come back and wrap this up next week. If if true righteousness inheres in the person, that is, is is inherent in me. Um, the Roman. Let me say that again. The Roman Catholic Church will tell you that God will not declare you just until righteousness inheres within me, that it's a part of me. That is, you. Um, you will not be declared just until you have displayed righteousness that is a part of you. Um, and you will remain in that state, <coughs> as I said, until you commit mortal sin. And then if you commit mortal sin, then the whole process needs to be repeated. Because you can fall in and out of justification. Uh, depending on the the... The size of your sin. So, the difference between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism can be said like this. In Roman Catholicism, you will not be pronounced just until you have produced um, righteousness sufficient. You get that? Now, here's Protestantism. Protestantism states that God declares you righteous, and in response to that declaration, I begin to live differently and live more pleasingly to Him. Do you see the difference in those guys? Um, Protestantism says, God declares me saved, and then I produce, then I begin to live differently. Roman Catholicism says, God will not make this statement of declaration about you until he has seen sufficient and adequate inherent righteousness. So, ladies and gentlemen, again I say, it is a, it is a faith plus merit. It is a grace plus works. It is a Christ plus me. Yet these things are all um, needed before you were ever justified. But you are not justified until you've added to these things merit, works, and my effort. Once that is sufficient in the mind of God, in the eyes of God, he will then declare you just. But woe be unto you. Woe be unto you if you die in mortal sin. Because then, then you were lost. But if, if I can commit mortal sin and then undergo this process and do all these things, then merit is available for me that can be drawn out of the treasury, granted to me, and I can, I can make up. And all of those, those transfers of merit, Portable merit. Is dispensed. By the church. You know Martin Luther said. If the Pope was a righteous man. He would empty the treasury of merit. 
and thereby empty purgatory. But that's nothing like that's been done um, for whatever reasons, and you'll just have to figure those out yourself. But guys, it is an altogether different gospel. We say to you, Christ and Christ alone and based on His merit, God declares you just and from there you grow into His likeness. But when Catholicism says, based on infusions of grace, based on acts of penance, based on condign and congruous merit, God will finally look at you and conclude that you are meritorious enough and then pronounce you just. Those are two separate Gospels, ladies and gentlemen. And only one of them is right. Now, you're going to have to figure out which one is. But just, just hear me say this. Those are two different Gospels. One has to do with Christ and Christ alone. The others have to do with all this stuff. Our Father, I do pray that you'll give your people the um, the ability to sort out um, what your word has to say, uh, that you'll give them the ability to um, find the truth. And, and if I have spoken error tonight, Lord, I pray that you will stop up their ears. But to the degree, Lord, that I have spoken rightly, would you would you awaken the heart the great beauty of the gospel, a gospel that says Jesus Christ has paid it all. Jesus Christ has lived the life that I should have lived. And Jesus Christ has died the death that I should have died. And as a result of his finished, his gloriously finished work, you, on the basis of his merit, declare me just. That is a gospel worth preaching. And I pray that you will allow your people to see the great beauty contained in it. For those of us, Father, who have family members that are in Roman Catholicism, um, it does um, concern us. And um, Lord, if we are indeed rightly under the anathema of heaven because of our commitment to justification by faith alone, then would you please show us our error? But if not, Father, would you, would you use us to declare the beauties of the finished work of Jesus Christ? And it's in his name, of course, that we pray. Amen. Thank you and good night.